This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Brother David led us in a great song just a few minutes ago, Power in the Blood. You would be surprised to know that not all churches under the Christian umbrella continues to this day to preach about the blood. A lot of churches are omitting the blood. They're omitting songs about the blood, preaching about the blood, teaching about the blood, trying to uh, just make a comfortable presentation on Sunday morning, something that uh, might appease people rather than bring conviction from the word. But this thing about the blood of Jesus, and, and I have a series on that, a, a, an entire series on the doctrine of the blood of Jesus, and I'm not going to go in that direction tonight. But I do want to say, as I read these words, and you see them here in your scriptures as well, we certainly want to thank God for the blood of Jesus. The blood that Jesus shed on the cross, according to the scriptures, was God's own blood. And so we think about the great song that he led us in, the power, there's power in the blood. We think about what can wash away my sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. In fact, the truth of the matter is this, we are completely defenseless without the blood of Jesus. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Revelation and I want you to see something in verse, in chapter 12 and verse number 11. This is a powerful scripture. I might be referencing this in our annual Bible prophecy series. But uh, for those of you that might be struggling with uh, demonic forces or influences or personal struggles, and which, by the way, I want to add that are very much real in our lives all around us. The devil is a very real person who is afflicting us in every aspect of our lives. But in Revelation chapter 12, verse number 11, chapter 12, verse number 11, I want you to see this. And actually, let me go back and, and read verse number nine, because that would lay the foundation for what we read in verse number 11. So let's look at Revelation 12, nine. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent. And I read this so that you will have an understanding of who and what this passage is talking about. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, I remind you that a third of heaven's angels followed the rebellion of Satan in the beginning. That's important to remember. A third, now known as fallen angels. And the scripture says in verse 10, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And that's what he does. He thrills in bringing up our sins and our past and our failures and our mistakes and all of our frailties. But verse number 11 is one of the most powerful verses in all of the Bible. 
The scripture says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. And again, I want to reemphasize that there is nothing any more important to you as a born-again believer, a child of God in Christ, if any man be in Christ, than the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. They overcame the devil by the blood of the lamb. And let me say, you can do that as well. You can do that as well. And then, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. And so we do know that there is power in the blood. The devil afflicts our body and the devil affects our spirit. If you can remember those two things, the devil afflicts our body and he affects our spirit. And we have all, as born-again believers, we have all been wounded vessels spiritually in some manner or form, every one of us. I mean that from decisions we've made. And we spoke a little bit about that on this past Sunday, but in life we do bear some scars of some bad decisions that we have made in life. And in some cases, even our bodies have been riddled with the scars of sin and shame. But here's the thing. When Jesus comes again, he is going to give us a glorified body. The scripture says, like unto his own body. And the scripture for that is Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 21. And I want to read that scripture for you tonight. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 21. I have people to ask me from time to time, Pastor, where is that scripture in the body or in the Bible that our body is going to be changed into a glorified body like the body of Jesus? Well, here it is, because you remember when Jesus was ascending back to heaven on the 40th day after his resurrection, he gathered all of his disciples to the Mount of Olives. And you remember, as the Bible says, that a cloud was taking him away. The angel said, you men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing? This same Jesus, which is taken from you into heaven, shall so come again in like manner as you've seen him go. This same Jesus... So I want you to know that Jesus, at this point, in fact, when he was resurrected from the dead, he was resurrected in a glorious body of resurrection. He was, that was his glorious bodily resurrection. And according to the scripture here in Philippians chapter 3, verse number 21, we're going to have and receive a body just like his. The scripture says, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So thank God. I think everybody in here can thank God that one day we're going to have a glorified body when we can lay down all of our infirmities. Those of you that are watching tonight, I'm sure there's a hearty amen in your living room somewhere. When we who can think and we can see and we can feel, we experience all the heartaches and the hardships of this world and life itself, we understand that we have the promise of Scripture that one of these days, according to the Word, that we will be able to lay it all down. And the Scripture says that we're going to receive a glorified body like unto the very body of Jesus himself. 
And that's going to take place when he comes in the rapture. The verse that goes in my heart, hand in hand with that scripture in Philippians 3, is 1 John 1, 9, and a scripture that we all know so well. And if you don't know this verse by memory, you should make it a point to try to memorize it. Because the word says this, if we confess our sin and, and the corruptness, the vileness, the brokenness of our body is a direct result of sin. And the scriptures, and we all have sinned, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The word says there's none righteous, no, not one. And this scripture in First John, if we confess our sin, we will sin. Listen, it doesn't matter how long you have been saved. It doesn't matter how many scriptures you memorize, how often you go to church, how faithful you are in giving your tithes, how faithful you are in giving a witness. If you're trying to be salt and light every day, all of that's wonderful. And the Bible speaks of this. But it does not matter how good of a Christian that we can become. We will never, ever get to the place where we are without sin. We were conceived in sin. We were born in sin. We live in sin. And we will die in our sin. As, as born-again believers, listen, yes, we are in Christ if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. But we will not, the exchange will not be made until we receive that glorified body. We will die, praise God, wretched, saved sinners in Christ. That's just the sin nature. But this verse, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, this verse can be precious to you tonight in a way perhaps that you've never thought about it. And I pray that's the case because you see, the devil can do a lot of things to us. As I mentioned just a few minutes ago, he can affect us. He can afflict us in all kinds of ways. He, he can take away, he can affect our joy. But one thing that the devil cannot do, and again, he's not omnipotent. And the word omnipotent means all-powerful. He's not as powerful as God, and he's not an equal to God. He's a whole lot wiser and a whole lot powerful than you and I are, but not in any way comparison to God. But one of the things that he cannot do if you look at the scripture in 1 John 1, 9 very carefully, he cannot take the word all out of this scripture. In fact, he cannot take any portion or part out of the word. But if you look at this scripture, I want you to underline that word all in your Bible. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's one word the devil cannot manipulate. He cannot affect in any way, shape, or form. That's possible because of the blood of Jesus. And Peter was speaking of it uh, from the depth of his heart. Now, as we move on, let's go to verse number three. 
The scripture says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy, we spoke a couple of weeks ago on the mercy, the grace and the mercy of God. But notice this, his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope. And this word hope is what I want to speak on just for a few minutes in verse number three. Because hope always has the future in mind. This world is full of people who believe right now that they have no hope. All of their hope is gone. In the New Testament, the word hope is frequently linked with the anticipation of the second coming of Jesus. In fact, there's a passage of scripture. If you're keeping up in your workbook, I want you to write in parentheses this scripture, Titus 2, verse number 13. And the scripture says this, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. There's another passage of scripture that I would like to give you in 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 3. And the Bible says, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. And so the hope that we as believers have is not just wishful thinking. Our hope as believers is based on something that's very substantial. It's based, our hope, listen now, our hope as a believer is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's our hope. And Peter, as he's writing this book, he is one who had firsthand knowledge of the resurrection. In fact, if we reminisce a little bit like we did in the beginning of this study, he was one of the first ones at the empty tomb. He was in the upper room when Jesus appeared to the disciples. He, Peter, was on the Mount of Olives when Jesus ascended back to the Father. And this is why he could say, these are just some of the reasons why he could say that the truth is this, because Jesus lives, we shall live also. That's the basis of our hope because of the resurrection. Now, Verse number four, uh, let me finish the scripture in verse three. A lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In verse number four, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Now this is a precious passage of scripture because now here in verse number four, Peter takes us past the resurrection. He takes us past our hope. He actually takes us in this passage of scripture, he actually takes us into the realms of eternity. He says that our inheritance, this is a very important word. I've underlined it in my Bible, highlighted it, and I pray that you would do the same. He says that our inheritance as a believer, it will never decay. It can never be defiled. And if you're taking notes or if you're writing scriptures in your Bible, I want you to put this passage in. It goes hand in hand with this in Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 27. 
John the Revelator recorded it this way. He said, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything, anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So here's the thing. In the new heaven, and the scriptures teach us, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. But the verses prior to that, John said, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. One day, God is going to make that possible. And in the new heaven, in the celestial city, God himself is going to personally safeguard our inheritance for eternity. That's important. Remember this. Sin did not originate on this earth. Please keep that in mind. Sin actually began in heaven. You say, well, how can that be? In Isaiah chapter 14, verse number 13, you'll find the recorded words where Satan himself, and he went on this rampage with God, but he said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I'm going to be like the most high and so forth. So that's when he led a third of heaven's angels astray. But if you look carefully at this passage of scripture in verse number four, we find the word inheritance incorruptible. Then you find the word undefiled. That's a big word because it means free from any kind of contamination whatsoever. Peter also says in this passage that our inheritance is one that will never fade away. It will never lose its luster. It will never grow dim. Our inheritance is not like a vapor when you breathe out in the cold and you can see your breath and it appears for a little while and then vanishes away, as James said. The scriptures promise that our inheritance as a believer is reserved in heaven. It is guarded and it is protected by God himself. In fact, let's move on to verse number five and let's go through this a little bit deeper. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the same or in the last time. Now look at this. It didn't say kept by the power of the disciples or we're not kept by the power of heavenly beings, heavenly creatures. This, this passage of scripture is one of the best in the Bible about eternal security, and we do believe that. We believe in eternal security. In fact, let me give you one more. I have a whole series on eternal security. I'm not going to go there at all with this teaching in First Peter it would take me way too long to do that, but there is one passage that I want to reference in John chapter 10. And notice with me in verse number 27. I want to read 27, 28, and 29. On eternal security, we believe once saved, always saved. I don't believe 
that you can lose your salvation, that any child of God can lose their salvation. We just read the scripture in 1 Peter. We're kept by the power of God. Now, let me ask you this. Is there anything greater than God? If there was anything greater than God, then God could not be God. And then the question is this. Is there any sin greater than God's grace? Is there any sin greater than God? Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is more powerful than God. We are kept by the power of God. That's where our redemption is. It's in the hands of God. In the scripture here in John chapter 10, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Now notice this, and I give unto them eternal life, not temporary life. I know people that believe this, that you can be saved as long as you want to be saved. Now, in the beginning, in the initiation of salvation, listen, God's not going to force his grace down anybody. He's not going to make anybody become a Christian if that's not what they want. If they don't desire that, he will not force his Holy Spirit upon you for whosoever will. So when a person realizes that they're lost and they confess and they repent and they come to Christ and they are changed and they're made into a new creature, salvation is not a temporary thing. It's not something that we get until we commit another sin because we're all going to sin until we get to heaven. For all have sinned now, for all will sin until the day we get this glorified body. But the scripture says this, and I give unto them eternal life. You go back to John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus said that I give them eternal life. And then he said this, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man now, any man means me, it means you, it means anybody. I cannot undo myself from being saved any more than I can save myself. The scripture says, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Somebody at home might be able to say amen to this tonight. That's wonderful, comforting scripture. This is what eternal security is all about. Now, there are three aspects of salvation that I see in this passage. Number one is it relates to the past. Jesus dealt with our sin a long time ago on the cross. Number two, in the present, by means of the indwelling of the Spirit of God. This is how we are helped in the, in the realms when we're facing temptations and spiritual issues when the devil comes against us. This helps us with the power of sin right now here on this earth the indwelling of the Spirit of God. And then I see as the future in this passage, as we think about past and present, 
now saved as believers, we look forward. We anticipate the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, which will destroy and put a, a, a final death blow to sin altogether in itself. Now, verse number five also says something interesting here. Look at it. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Look at those words, ready to be revealed. This is talking about a great day when Christ will be revealed in all of his power and all of his glory. Have you ever stopped to think about what it's going to be like when you lay your eyes upon Jesus Christ for the very first time. We've seen him with our spiritual heart. We've seen him with our spiritual eyes. But think about this, when we behold him face to face for the very first time. Revelation chapter one, verse number seven says, behold, he cometh with clouds and every eye will see him. And they also which pierced him and all kindreds of the earth shall well because of him. Even so, amen. No one will see him in the rapture except for believers. And we'll talk about this in the prophecy series. But in the revelation, when he comes seven years after the rapture, when he comes in the revelation, the scripture says he comes with clouds and every eye will see him. Now, I want us to look a little deeper here just for a moment. In verse number five, because Peter uses this word ready. Look at this. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That means that everything, when Peter uses this word ready, he's in reference to everything that is necessary, prepared for the end times to begin is done. Now, everything is ready. And I will tell you this in our series that we're going to discover here, especially on Sunday, there is absolutely nothing left to be filled prior to the Lord's return in the air when we meet him in the rapture. God, by the way, is still extending his grace. He's still extending his mercy to the lost in this wicked world. And uh, they have opportunities today. Who knows, in the next breath, the next 10 seconds, the next 10 minutes, they may not have the opportunity. He may come to Trump, it may sound. But as long as we're here and we are awaiting the sound of the trumpet, people still have opportunities. And we are, listen, we are kept eternally secure by the power of God. Sometimes we might get discouraged when it seems like that the old devil is getting the victory in our lives. And he does win some battles. Things in this world, I, I hate sometimes to even watch the news because it just seems like that day after day, 30 minutes to another 30 minutes, things are just getting so chaotic and getting worse beyond our imaginations. The thing that I want to remind you of is this, the devil right now, he is a defeated foe. He may win some battles in your life, but you have to remember that he is ultimately defeated. And all of our future belongs to Christ. 
Now, verse number six. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season. And when I started studying verse number six, there was some history that came to my mind in this passage. And uh, Brother Danny, when he teaches on Sunday morning, he gives us a lot of historical information uh, on these apostles. And I uh, intrigued with that. When I read this, I thought of that. And then something interesting came to my mind when I read verse number six from historical premises. And that is this. Let me read this. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season. What was happening when Peter wrote this? This was very interesting to me when I started studying that. During this particular time of Peter's ministry, when he wrote these words, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. But I underlined these words in my Bible, now for a season. What was happening at this particular point in Peter's ministry? Historically, there was a wicked emperor who was ruling and reigning during this particular time of Peter's ministry, and his name was Nero. Maybe you have heard, you have studied a little bit about Nero. Nero was the fifth emperor of Rome. And here was the amazing thing about Nero. He came to the throne when he was just 17 years old. I want you to think about that. And he died when he was 32. So this powerful man a very wicked, a very evil man was ruling and reigning during this time of Peter's ministry. And by the way, if you're not familiar with his death, he committed suicide. So he comes to the throne when he's 17. He's our, he is a barbaric brute. In fact, he was so notorious for his cruelty that history says that not only did he kill his own mother, but back in the day when people had multiple wives, he killed his two wives as well. I did a little study in this, and it was said that Nero, one of the things, one of the things out of many things that he would do to persecute the church and torture Christians as he would do this. He would take the animal hides, the animal skins off of beasts, and he would wrap Christians up in these animal skins. He would cover them completely, and then he would turn wild dogs loose to devour these believers alive. This is just one of the barbaric things that he was noted for. When Peter wrote this passage, 
Nero was ruling. This was the way of life. In fact, just calling yourself a Christian back in this day and time was sufficient for the state to impose capital punishment upon an individual. Christians were being devoured and martyred and Christian churches were being destroyed. The leaders of the church were being killed. They were being persecuted. And the world had become a very dangerous place for the believer. But in spite of it all, Peter sets down and he writes these words, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season. And this is in reference to the barbaric ways that the church was being suppressed. Peter never lost sight that God was still on the throne. Well, we're going to stop here for tonight. We'll continue with the scripture and finish out the heaviness through manifold temptations, Lord willing, next Wednesday night. You know, the church is still alive and well, even after all of the persecutions, after everything that's been done to discredit the church and to hurt the church, to persecute the church, the church is still alive and well. This is about or brought about by the power of God, the blood of Jesus. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.